everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, and we're seemingly back to our regularly scheduled programming. It is Tuesday, January 8th, should be up around noon, 1 o'clock for y'all. And uh, we've got a couple different things we want to talk about, uh, like we usually do, nothing crazy there. Uh, but we have three big stories. So one, I want to talk about this craziness over the weekend with that came out about the female Overwatch player who was going pro named Ellie apparently got harassed a bunch and then quit because she was harassed so much and then found out that she wasn't real <laughs> and it's a big mess and it's um pretty crazy uh and then we're going to talk about the um we're going to talk about a lawsuit going on right now between the creator of star control and the owners of the star control ip rights Yes, they're not the same people, and apparently um, there's some clashing going on there. And uh, then lastly, we're going to talk about the Wii U and how its prices have skyrocketed for new consoles. And we'll kind of talk about that because that's an overall that's an overall collecting sort of thing, which I uh, know a thing or two about. But that's uh, that that's it's interesting when you read things like like this article talks about how. Uh, things don't make sense in like, why would this be worth money when nobody wanted it? And it's like, well, they don't understand the collecting market. It's kind of how it's always been. Um, so we're going to talk about those three things. And then, of course, we'll talk about our game of the week, which I realized I did not pick before I sat down. So now in real time, I'm going to kind of turn my mic a little bit here. We're going to get a little funky with this. And uh, and um, I'm going to pick a game. That, uh, while while I'm talking to you, uh, hold on one second. All right, I got it picked out. I think it'll be a good one. So we're gonna talk about that. It'll be our final thing to talk about, uh, our game of the week. And yeah, so I guess with that, we'll just pretty much get it started here. Uh, let's see, we're recording. Mike's working. It's all good in the hood. And uh, here we go. So the first story we're gonna talk about today is Overwatch player. Ellie and the controversy surrounding uh, everything about it. <clears throat> and if you don't know, basically over the weekend, it came out that there was a team considering a, a player named Ellie for their roster. And Ellie would have been the first pro female gamer. It's apparently a younger girl too, so it was really impressive that like, hey, this team found someone really talented that could be on their team uh, and also having to be a girl, you know? And what I like about this Forbes article is they kind of, th this is a mess, okay? I'm going to be honest. We're, the first thing we're going to do is we're going to lay out all the facts and then we're going to kind of, we're going to kind of talk about everything one by one. And so basically the order of events was something along the lines of, as soon as this announcement was made, people started digging. Mostly because it was apparently somebody who was like a top 10, top 20 Overwatch player, but had you know, no stats on their account. And and oftentimes, I guess, people make what they call Smurf accounts or they make accounts. Um, I, I got called that one time when I was playing Rocket League on PC because I'd played a bunch on PS4, hadn't played on PC, so I was, I was like a low-level player, but I had higher-level skill. And so sometimes people will do that also to avoid bans or to maybe be able to play without having to deal with harassment and stuff. And so that's that's pretty common occurrence, uh, apparently. And uh, so, you know, that's that's totally normal stuff. And, and it happens. So people were like, well, maybe that's possible. And then, of course, people started digging. They're like, well, this is weird. You know, someone this good should have been known. It's got to be somebody else. It's got to be somebody else. And then, 
you know, and so this team had announced that they had, they, were, they declared that they were going to bring her on. And so when all this stuff started, um, not shortly then after, the announcement was made that Ellie quit the team before even playing because of all the harassment and doxing threats that she had received. And so you're like, you know, at first, well, this is your typical story, you know, that, that uh, there is a toxic subculture uh, in gaming that hates all things to do with anyone different from them playing their games, whether it's female, uh, different race, you know, all that sort of thing, but especially in regards to male aggression against female gamers. And and so that's you heard the story like, wow, it's just another story of that. Well, apparently that didn't stop the people from digging, and so they kept digging, and there was an extensive Reddit thread about it, and, and basically they kept digging and kept digging. And then it came to... <clears throat> Well, like a, a girl had come out and said, well, uh, this character is not real. Ellie is being played by a different uh, Overwatch user, uh, Punisher, and sometimes has girls talk for him in Discord or in chat so that people will believe that it's a girl. So you're like, whoa, wait a minute. This, this is this is crazy. <clears throat> and and then eventually, which led to it being proven that that is what happened. Uh, and then, of course, the Overwatch team that was going to bring on second wind. They're like, well, we, we didn't know. I mean, we, we thought it was a girl, you know? And, and then later, uh, it was <clears throat> excused as a social experiment that went too far. So that's kind of the start to the finish of this roller coaster ride of just bonkers. Uh, so getting back to it, what I liked about this Forbes article was it took a lot of the talking points I had and kind of put them in, in, in uh, an interesting bullet point here. And I want to I want to go through this, and then I want to talk about each one and kind of give my opinion on that, uh, because Forbes did put together, albeit a bit cynical article, it it was loaded with what actually happened. So uh, this is one of the things. So uh, the the writer confirms it is a colossal cluster mess that everyone's trying to use to prove a different point about the state of Overwatch esports and the gaming industry in general. Uh, this article is by Paul Tassie, a senior contributor to Forbes. Um, in their games, news and opinion on games. Um, so uh, this is the first point that he makes. On one side, you have game journalists who originally ran with the story that Ellie was a young girl that had been harassed out of the league because of harassment and doxing attempts against her. So, and, and this I think is totally fair. You have this story come out. Nobody does any research on it. Nobody digs deeper. This, this lack of like gaming journalism that we always talk about is completely not there. People just jump on this story and they're like, well, here's another story of it. And and that's that's a knee-jerk reaction, but that's also the reaction that I had when I read it too. I, I read the story that they that Ellie Ellie quit because of being harassed and you just kind of believe it because it is believable and, and there's nothing wrong with that being believable. And so you have that and then but you have people that just jump on it because it is such a believable story and they run with it try to get those like free internet points by being the first and by being the first to get out there uh and then uh they go on to argue on the other hand you have the gamergate era crowd saying aha you stupid journalist didn't do your jobs and the doxing helped prove she actually was a fake well i think doxing uh obviously it's it's pretty terrible behavior like we don't i don't think anybody would argue that um and it also goes on to a bigger point, which is why does somebody who's why can't people still have private lives or be private, even though they're in the public sector? And I understand you do sacrifice things like movie stars and such, like when they go out in public to go to a restaurant, of course, they're going to be approached and 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 things like that. But they're there. I think you're afforded a certain amount of privacy. And it's a little hypocritical when a lot of the people 
who are doing the doxing, they are they are anonymous. So they they are hidden. Uh, they are protected by their online personas as opposed to these people that that they'd be doing that to. Um, and so doxing is never appropriate. And I, I will agree a little bit that this doesn't help the situation at all. When you when you do a quote unquote social experiment, you're not helping any of this problem that we have with this uh, toxic culture get any better. Um, and so we go on to say, but then you have the point that even a fake female gamer was subject to harassment, harassment that would probably not have occurred if the players were supposed to be an anonymous boy, not a girl, or at least this wouldn't have blown up the way it did. So I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that if, if Ellie hadn't been, um, Billy and that Billy was a new young player that was coming on the scene, but nobody knew anything about it, had crazy good stats, super high ranked, but had no, you know, people would have been digging for that also. But is there a level of harassment that was on top of that because it was a girl? I do believe that. I do. Um, and then uh, they go on to say, but because doxing, quote unquote, worked in this case, it's easy to see how harmful this is going to be for the future of female players in leagues where they are already practically non-existent. The Ellie case will be used to justify future doxing attempts against female presenting players, and you're going to have endless, lol, is she even real, memes for any skilled player that enters the pro scene. Um, yeah, that's pretty accurate, unfortunately, I think. I think you're going to have, you're going to have people that use this as the reason why it's okay. That's absolutely going to happen. Now, they're also arguing at the end of that point that you will also have people that are saying, oh, this 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 girl's really good. This woman's really good at this game. Is it even her? She's probably not even real. She's probably somebody else pretending to be a woman, you know? And and so that person has to go the extra mile to prove that they're real, Maybe, whether it's at a, at a, you know, an, a live event or something like that, or, or they have to go on stream and say, look, it's me or something. But again, giving up a bit of that privacy and which, which when you play online, like you're, you're never guaranteed anything, but you, you have an expectation of being able to be a little anonymous. That's kind of why a lot of this toxic culture exists because so many people feel invincible by the, you know, anonymous internet protection. And so I think that's why you see a lot of this come out. Uh, and then finally, and in the end, this wasn't actually a big deal since Ellie slash Punisher never joined a team, never played in Overwatch contenders at all, which isn't even the main Overwatch Pro League. And uh, so, yeah, that's fair. I mean, it, it's it's not a big deal, but it, but I do believe it is because it once again brought to the surface the entire mess, garbage, junk of how toxic people can be in our gaming culture. Now, one thing I want to address, and this is probably super controversial, but whatever, I've never held back on this podcast. I do what I, I say, what I think, and I'm always going to do that. And if you disagree with me, I will have a, a hearty conversation in the, in the comment section with you. You bring respect, you get respect. Um, and so that's just how that's going to go. But the, the, this reminds me slightly too the people there's, cause there's a lot of people complaining basically that, that they were tricked. And that see they were right. And one thing you have is is this kind of brought to light. And there were a few Twitter threads about this where a few um, I, I don't even know what to call them because I, I don't I don't want to say like it seems so so disingenuous to say like female gamer or girl gamer. It's like they're just like a girl that plays games, a woman that plays games. It doesn't matter like like these gamers. I'm just gonna say that. So these gamers, you know, they'll say look at some of the harassment I've gotten. And some of the Threaded Reds I was reading, you know, some some gamers have people that will throw matches when they find out that they're a woman. They'll purposely be like, oh, we got a woman on our team, just forget it, I'm not even going to play. 
something like that. And does that exist? Absolutely. So then you kind of have these people that pop up and these people that pop up will say something like, but it's toxic everywhere. Like I'm a guy and I get told that I'm a scrub or I'm a whatever. I'm an effing bleeping whatever. And, and, and that is absolutely true too. There is a, a huge toxic, um, anonymous internet issue that's not going away anytime soon, but that doesn't take away from the specific point someone else is trying to make. So this reminds me a lot of the situation when you have people that support a movement like black lives matter. And then you have people that are not black complaining and saying things like, but all lives should matter. All lives should matter. And of course that's true, but you're taking away specifically someone else's like someone else's movement. That person is concerned with that movement. They're not saying I don't like, I don't care about white lives. I only care about black lives matter, but they're just saying like, this is my, this is, this is the mantle I'm taking right now. And, and so it's easy. And I'm a little guilty of this too. It's easy to be offended by generalizations. So you hear something like this and, and the articles and the headlines that come out say something like, you know, once again, male gamers, you know, hate female gamers and they uh, harass them until they quit. And you see a headline like that. And how do you not get offended and go, well, I'm a male gamer and I don't do that. So here's what I'm going to tell to help you with that. If you hear an article like that and you get offended by that, you have to ask yourself one question. Have you ever done that? Have you ever harassed somebody because they were a girl or a woman playing a video game because of their sex? If the answer is no, then they're not talking about you. And I, I had to learn this too. I had to learn this. It took me quite a while because I would read these articles and I'd read this and people talk about toxic masculinity. I'm like, but I'm a man and I'm not like that. Well, then they're not talking about me. They're not talking about you, right? So if you've never done anything horrible, they're not talking about you. In, in fact, they're just trying to bring awareness to the people that were horrible that did do that to them. And I think that's fair. And I think that's okay. Um, and and like I referred to the Black Lives Matter thing, if 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 someone is a, a woman and she's complaining about the harassment she's received while playing games, and you're a guy who's got harassment and who's been harassed while playing games, like I'm sure many people have. I have. I've been called like terrible things, you know, by making mistakes in a game or whatever. It doesn't take away their experience. And when you try to argue with them that their experience is the same as yours. You're trying to you're trying to bring them down. Let them have their moment. And then you know what? When you get your pedestal, you can speak and say the same thing. But you don't have to take away from someone else's motive or someone else's opinion to get to yours. And and I think that's really the issue with all of this is that people, one, they get offended by generalizations. And I'm not a fan of broad generalizations personally. I think we should be be more clear about that. But it's fair to assume when someone's talking about that, they're talking about people who do harass people. They're not talking about you. You know, it's the same with, um, you know, like when in political senses, when people are like they hate this side or they hate that side, you know, it's who, who do something wrong. It's like, well, I'm not saying all on your side do this. I'm just saying the ones that did this were all on your side, I guess, is kind of the argument you make. And so one thing that I always say on this podcast, I've said it many times before, we have to be better. That's our problem as a society is we're not doing it better to fight this. And, and it's not easy. I'll be quite honest. It's not easy because you have people that <laughs> it's almost like you can't win when you pick a side because <laughs> on one side, if you try to defend women and girls that are harassed while playing games, you can, you can be accused of being a white knight. Um, and if you don't know the term white knighting is, uh, is apparently this thing where, you can 
uh, for sticking up for people, um, you are a chump for that. Now, it's not necessarily just sticking up for people. People would argue that actual white knighting is when you stick up for somebody with the intent of trying to get closer to that person or to try to get on better, you know, be on someone's better side. So you're being a white knight. You're trying to you're trying to swoop in and save them when they don't need saving necessarily. Um, but that gets construed because you could be a supporter of their movement and you're not a white knight. You're just you just I'm just supporting you. I, I believe what happened to you and I, I think it's bad. And so there's that is the kind of the initial piece. And then you move on from that and you have this other side of it, which is, well, if if you've never done it and, and some people, to be fair, have never been exposed to it. So if you've never been exposed to it, sometimes you read these stories and, and you think to yourself, I mean, is that really does that really happen? Like, that sounds pretty terrible. And, and, and just because you haven't experienced it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. And so then on the other side, you've got people, though, that if they don't believe that it happened because maybe they haven't experienced it, those people are terrible, sexist monsters who don't care about women and, and girls uh, being comfortable in their gaming space. And so you've got this kind of like no-win situation sometimes. So that's why it's so important to understand what's happening, to understand the facts, and to be supportive of people, but to also call things out when they're BS. So... Uh, in the spirit of that comment, let's talk a little bit about this social experiment. So what I actually think, and I don't know if this will come out in the future, what actually happened. I I think that uh, this started off as a joke, and then they took the joke too far, and then it got out of hand. I don't think the, the doxing and the harassment had anything to do with Punisher quitting, obviously. Punisher realized that this joke that they had started, I don't want to even say social experiment. That's like a nice way of, I think, saying that they were just pulling a prank. And I think it got out of hand. They didn't kill it fast enough. And then it blew up into something like this. And so, again, like I said earlier, this doesn't help anything. Because now you've got the people that did it justified in doing it. You've got the people that argue that it happens all the time. They can prove that they're they're still on their side because it did happen. And they can look at this and say, see, though, it didn't matter if it was a real or a fake person. It happened to that character. It happened to them. So then they're still on their side. Like nothing here is bringing people together. Nothing here is solving a problem. Nothing here is working on making it better. And and that's what is unfortunate about this whole thing is everyone's, it's basically galvanizing somehow both sides in their beliefs that they're right. In fact, that's actually kind of impressive. I don't know how that works when you have two polar opposites somehow both completely galvanized by one singular event. And, and it's just not good. And it's not good. And I don't know, I do know a way to fix this, but I don't think most people would want to do it. But I do feel, and I think YouTube tried to do this a little bit with the Google Plus integration, but it would be, if you somehow had to have your personal information tied to your internet personas, I feel like you'd have less toxic, uh, less less toxic behavior. Because these things have real act, like your words have real consequences if they're found. So say you're going for a job interview and someone goes, oh, you know, I, I, I you know, because this is something that some jobs will do. They'll look up like your social media. That's why you should always keep it private. They'll look up your social media. And if you're saying something like, oh, man, I blew off work for three days, said I was sick so I could go on the beach and surf. And and then your future employer looks at and goes, uh, eh, never mind, we'll go hire somebody else. They could use something like this, right? So maybe they could use something like, oh, you know, when he plays Overwatch, he refers to anyone playing the game that's a woman uh, as this expletive <laughs> and and they're like uh let's not hire that person he's an hr nightmare 
Now, you go on then to argue, well, is that <laughs> is that safe? I mean, is that good that, you know, like there's a right to privacy that we get to have in our own homes when it comes to like in, in the real world. So does that same level of privacy automatically stretch the Internet? And it, it was always that way. The uh, the anonymous Internet has how it's been. You know, I can make a new account on Epic. I can make a f free email that's fake. I can make a new Fortnite account that's fake. I can start playing again, harass people, and people would never know it was me. Um, should that ever change? Um, I I'd like to kind of see that maybe. And, and I, But I don't know. Like, I have to think about that. You know, I say that just off the cuff, but I don't know. Is that is that going to fix the problem? I think the only way to fix the problem is to know that your words and your actions have consequences. If you're out in the street and you say something like that to someone's face, they will say something back to you. Um, you might see a, a, a bystander will come up to you and confront you. Uh, if you're being racist in public, we see those videos all the time where people will come up and, you know, like and, and try to stop you for being um, ignorant and stupid. So like you're not if you were confronted with that, are you less likely to do it in a public space because you can be challenged on it? Yes. Uh, as opposed to here where you just kind of can do it because there's no consequences, zero consequence for that. It's like, oh, you might get a ban from the game. You know, worst case, you buy another copy, you get another uh, PlayStation and you get a new uh, and you get a new PSN ID. Like, you know, if you're on that or on PC, you just buy a new copy of the game and make a new account. Like all these things make it very safe for the harassers, you know, and and as esports and, and here's what's funny about this. So as esports and, and the online arenas get bigger and bigger, we we have this moment of. Well, should they have an expectation of privacy? But this is in a world where we were allowed to be private playing that game. You know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like when, like I said, when a celebrity goes out to dinner, now they have to go find a restaurant where someone will have a back room where they can sneak in a back door, go there, eat and leave without being harassed by people, you know, and, and I feel like we shouldn't have to do that. And, and I think it even goes to a larger point, which I won't even get into today about quote unquote, like hero worship, because I think that's an issue in itself too, where we, we, we find these people, these celebrities, and they, we somehow elevate them to, to meta humans and, and, and to like this on this pillar that they're somehow better than us and that they owe us something for liking them. Very, very weird stuff. Um, but, uh, so this is another, uh, so th this was, um, uh, Rod Breslaw on Twitter, um, tweeted this out. This was about the, uh, the, the woman that came forward, according to a third woman who has spoken to Punisher, but does not wish to be named or did not come forward earlier due to fear of harassment says Punisher is behind the LA discord and Twitter accounts. It's all fake. No girl or persona. So this is all, you know, this is the official, like someone broke the news on Twitter. Um, uh, and then here they go on to say, like, so, so when the online community started questioning Ellie's identity, second wing manage, second wind management and players didn't share those suspicions. Ellie is 100% definitely a girl. She was in our discord channel multiple times, says Nathan Gobel before the hoax was revealed. He perceived the Ellie character to have a more quiet personality when communicating on discord. Uh, Gobel thought her story and decisions to quit checked out because a teammate said he knew her and it's probably hard being a girl. That's that good. He said, uh, in a gender neutral statement post online, the team said there was nothing that would spark suspicion with Ellie and Initially, the statement claims, quote, as soon as Ellie was announced, many questions came up regarding the legitimacy of the player. We reached out to Blizzard early on to help verify their identity and calm the suspicion of our newest player, end quote. And then late Friday, a streamer named Becca uh, Rukavina said that Ellie was a fraud. There's apparently a video. I haven't watched that. I should probably watch that. Um, 
claimed that another player using the handle Punisher was playing as Ellie. She claims Punisher was doing this as a kind of social experiment. Um, again, I think it was more of a joke, and then it blew up into something they couldn't control. But again, I guess, to, so in closing with this, let's just say that this does exist. The harassment of women that play video games is legitimately there. I do think it's disproportionate to other people that get harassed. And it sucks too, real quick when I'm talking about this, because I, I understand sometimes too, it's, it kind of goes to a, how do I want to say this? Like a, it's not, it's not always a, a race divider. Sometimes it's a, it's not always about race. It's not always about sex. Sometimes it's about like, and this isn't in the games, I don't mean, but in, in the real life, you know, so someone who might be white and has no money, has had a really hard life and, and doesn't understand why people say things like white privilege. They don't understand that because to them, they haven't been privileged. They've never been in a position of power. They've never had money. So to them, they feel just as disenfranchised as someone who might be African-American, but they don't have a, a, a white lives matter. And you can't say that without that kind of double standard of, of being racist. And so you have, you know, but that person still has a legitimate claim to being unhappy and they're still allowed to fight for the things they want. But again, I can't stress enough that just because you have a movement that you support, you don't have to take away from someone else's movement that they're trying to support. Like that's really what this all comes down to. And I, I hope that this can get better. And I don't know with, with pro gaming getting bigger. And what I don't understand too is why as people grow and, and this becomes more and more popular, people who are younger that are growing into this, like they're part of the problem too. Like we, we need to fix this. Like we as people in the community need to fix this. There's nobody who's going to come in and police it, you know? And like I said, even with the whole, oh, the, you know, Blizzard forces your real name and address to be revealed if you're whatever, or maybe to watch a show, you have to register and, and that way if you're toxic, but you can't do stuff like that. That ultimately won't fix the problem, which is our behavior. And the only way they'll fix that is our community kind of policing itself. And so in those threads of women who were harassed while playing Overwatch, one of the things they said was, if you see somebody doing it, you call them out on it. You know, if, if, if your teammate is being harassed and you feel especially ridiculous uh, reasons based on race or on sex, call them out. And, and that's all you can do is kind of shame them into hopefully not doing it again. Because if that one person comes out and says that, and then you have 10 other people come out against that, that person will shut up quick. That one person shouldn't drown out the 10. Not saying it, it's not possible. There are people with really loud voices, that vocal minority we're always talking about. But anyway, I'm getting off on a tangent. I don't really want to do that. I just, it, it's frustrating to me because I have seen this. I have seen like, the, this is the dark side of our industry, of, of the hobby that we love. And the problem too is that when a little story like this happens, it gets blown up. And then once it's blown up, people act like, well, see, it's blown up, so it's it's a huge problem. And that's not necessarily the case here because this toxic culture, this 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 random racist sexist spouting off on the internet is like it's it's worse than it's ever been. I mean, just as a quick story, uh, without revealing any information, like I, I had a kid come in my store who, if I had to guess, is twelve years old. And he told me a story and he was a regular. He seemed like a good kid. He told me a story about he got in a fight with his friend because his, he called his friend the N word and his friend happened to be African-American when they were playing games. And I'm like, how, how does a 12 year old from Wisconsin, where did he, where is he getting that from? And he's getting that from the internet. You know, his family's not giving him those views, you know, I mean, not saying they can't, but knowing like his mom has been in the store, his mom and, and knowing other people that he's been in with, like it, it's not, that's not where it's coming from. So 
where not only where did he get that, but why why was he so brazen enough to like call well, call one of your friends that officially? But it's weird. Like there's this I don't know. Like there's this weird it's okay because it's on the internet sort of mentality. And I don't I don't know how we fix that, I guess. And and unfortunately here I'm spouting off and I'm talking about things and I don't have a solution. And I don't I don't know where we go from there. I d I don't know how we evolve beyond this and make the internet like a better place and i'm not talking like sitting around a campfire kumbaya stuff okay i'm just saying like there, you need competition you need like trash talking is a thing but there you know usually there's this sort of general level of respect that we're not seeing and and it it's like never been there <laughs> and i just feel like i mean there's some games i can't play anymore because like like you play it and it's just all garbage you know i i used to play some mobas i never really got into league played a lot of smite and every game if you play smite and you don't do something perfect or you make a single mistake or you get killed and you're supposed to you reach and you make a mistake and you get killed you're an f in this you're an f in that you're a garbage loser you're like and then everyone starts hitting the f hit f5 to quit like everyone's like oh you know this one thing happened let's just quit why waste the time let's quit oh okay i i don't i don't know and so there's certain games i've quit playing because the communities are so bad and now that is kind of the freedom of choice right so people could stop playing Overwatch if it's this toxic. And this isn't the first time we've talked about Overwatch being toxic. In fact, we had a story last year, might have even been late 2017, where where Blizzard was arguing that the toxic players and them having to deal with that was hindering development of other parts of the game because they had to focus on the community and the banning and the, the systems in place to reassure people that are reporting people that bans are actually happening. Because that was a thing too, is we want transparency. Like you want to know that when you report a player, something happens. You know, I've reported players in other games and nothing happens and they're still there. And you're like, okay, I don't know. Did he get a two day ban? I don't know. And the only way you'll find out is if they're a huge person and then uh, they tweet about it uh, later and they say, oh, hey, I, uh, yeah, I got banned. It was stupid. You're like, oh, hey, I helped. But otherwise, normally you don't know. So anyway, long story short, summary here, be decent to each other, please. Can, can we do that? Can, when you're playing online, just think about what you're saying. You know, think, think, be better, be a better person. And we all get angry, we all have our moments, but that's, that's what it really proves who you are is when you can control those moments, be in the moment control that anger and then bring it back and understand that like this sort of behavior is just not appropriate. I don't, I don't know. It's just not cool. Just don't do it. And if you're a younger kid and you're listening to this and, and you're thinking, you know, whatever, this old guy doesn't know shit. Well, that's fine. Um, but you young whippersnappers, uh, I, I, I was, I was running the internet streets before you were born probably. And I was, I was in, uh, you know, I was in chats. I was in chat rooms before there were games to play online. Like I, I've been there, you know, and, and even like playing games like Diablo, Diablo two early on playing games like command and conquer direct dial up, you know, or direct uh, phone in dial up connections. It's, it's like we, we can, we can be better, just be better, you know, and that's a part of growth, I guess. And maybe you can, you can attribute that to some, some immaturity, but just be better. You know, it's all I can say. It's all I got. Oh, that's such a tough story to talk about because I don't know if I'm going to get blasted and about talking about things I shouldn't be talking about, but that one frustrates me because I, I don't know how else to say it. Like the internet's kind of a cesspool sometimes and it, and, and I feel like it's always kind of been, but it's just getting worse. And now normally something like that over time should get better. <laughs> it doesn't, it just keeps getting worse. Um, all right. So let me, let me get to this, uh, star control story 
real quick because this one's this one's kind of frustrating. I feel kind of bad for a couple people in this story. Um so let me uh let me let me start uh here and we'll see if we can crack into it. So next on the podcast today, we are talking about Star Control Origins and the lawsuit brought upon it from both sides. So to try to give a quick recap, over the weekend, Star Control Origins was no longer available for sale on Steam or GOG. We had an official statement here by the CEO of Stardock. Um, and this this is kind of his explanation, so I want to uh, I want to I want to go through this. So question what are the issues in the dispute answer on the eve of launch of the beta of star control origins in october of 2017 so this is a year and a few months ago a game Stardock has spent the past four years working on paul reich the third and fred ford the designers of star control 2 for accolade 25 years ago announced a new game ghosts of the precursors as a direct sequel to star control even going as far as to promote it as star control ghosts of the precursors they did this despite knowing Stardock had acquired the Star Control IP in 2013 and knowing beforehand our announcement schedule. Their actions created confusion in the market as to the origin of the Star Control games, which is why we have trademark laws. When Stardock asked that they cease and desist marketing their game as a sequel to Star Control, they refused and began demanding that the sale of the DOS games, which has been on sale continuously since before Stardock acquired the IP and for which they had been receiving royalties for during the entire time, cease and began to disparage Stardock publicly in the press. Despite Stardock's best efforts to reach a private, mutually beneficial coexistence agreement, Paul and Fred responded with increasingly hostile, misleading public attacks and served Steam and GOG with DMC takedown notices on all of our classic DOS games, including Star Control 3, which they had no involvement with at all, continuing to promote their new game as the true sequel to Star Control. In addition, Paul and Fred also began to claim that various features of Star Control Origins violated their copyrights, such as the ship designer user interface with similarities to other elements that are not subject to copyright protection. They also began to demand special access to Star Control Origins to inspect it and demanded the removal of the ship designer. As a result, their broad interpretation of what they believe to have rights combined with their willingness to instruct their lawyers to issue a DMC takedown notice, even on titles in which they had no involvement in, combined with their refusal to cease promoting their game as a sequel to Star Control, Stardock was forced to file a complaint over their continuing trademark infringement. Uh, then, in retaliation, Reich and Ford filed a countersuit seeking to cancel the Star Control trademark and for copyright infringement due to the sale of the classic Star Control games on GOG and Steam, and are even suing GOG despite the fact that Reich and Ford were the ones who claimed to have helped get the classic Star Control games onto GOG. So, this is, this is weird. So, that was that was the remark from Stardock. So, Stardock is the company that made Star Control Origins. Star Control Origins. Uh, so <laughs> let me see if I can find it here. So, okay. So this this is an interesting picture here. So this is the the one over here. Forget the red box stuff here. And if you're on the podcast, you know, listening, you know, I'll explain it. But if you're watching this on YouTube, so this is Star Control Two. This is Star Control Three, and this is Origins. Now, my understanding, and I think what happened was that when Stardock bought the rights to Star Control. They got the rights to Star Control 3 and assets unused for like Star Control 4, but not Star Control 1 and 2. So what they're arguing, what the original creators of Star Control are arguing here is that this is Star Control 2. 
this is a picture of it. I wish I could zoom in a little further, but it's it's like red and it's a top-down view. Star Control 3 has a black space and a bunch of weird boxes all over. And then Origins has that same sort of red screen. So what they're arguing is that Origins is based off of Star Control 1 and 2 instead of Star Control 3, which is what they own. So they should have called it, if they called it Star Control Origins, they should have based it off of 3, which they own the rights to. Which is kind of unfortunate because Stardock thinks that they own the rights to all of Star Control. And if they don't, they got bamboozled in this auction for something like three hundred dollars to $400,000 they paid for the rights to Star Control. It might have been only the rights to 3 and and um, and the unreleased 4 and the assets to that. So if that's the case, then they paid a lot of money for virtually nothing. So they're arguing here that Star Control 2 and Origins are too similar. And so some of the things they say is that in Star Control 2, interstellar travel uses hyperspace. In Origins, interstellar travel uses hyperspace. In Star Control 2, the Arlu refer to our dimension as true space. In Origins, the Arlu slash observers refer to our dimension as true space. Star Control 2, display is 2D top-down with your starship named Vindicator, shown in the middle of the screen. Origins, display is 2D top-down with your starship named Vindicator, shown in the middle of the screen. Star Control 2, color of interstellar space is shifted to red. Origins, color of interstellar space is shifted to red. In Star Control 3, which is what the makers of Origins Stardock own, color of interstellar, interstellar space is black. And so basically this whole sheet is this huge thing that is saying that Star Control 2 was ripped off when they made Star Control Origins. So they're saying that they made Origins look just like 2, which they didn't have the rights to do. And so then the the head of Stardock comes up with contradictions to all of their points. Um, so the, referring to the idea of hyperspace, this is an idea one used by Star Wars and countless other games. Um, the dimension being referred to as true space, true space is a common sci-fi trope. Babylon five and countless other things refer to non hyperspace as true space or normal space. Uh, the display is 2d top down and it says you cannot own the idea of a camera angle. Well, yeah, I, don't, I mean, they're also arguing the name vindicator and you know, there's a little, a little disingenuous, but that's okay. Uh, color of interstellar space is, is a shift shifted red uh they they go on to argue you cannot own a color and so on and so forth so there's this huge back and forth going on and so then what the original creators did was as part of their trying to fight against this was they issued a dmca takedown notice to steam and to gog to get the games removed from that platform so they can no longer sell star control one and two and they can no longer sell Star Control 3 or Origins, which 3, again, they don't own any rights to by their own admission. So I find that kind of interesting how they're able to do that. And then, of course, Origins, they they had the takedown because they claim it had to do with that. Now, the, the head of Stardock seems to think that because... The head of Stardock seems to think that be, it was all due to timing. Like, they knew this was all coming. They knew when the game was going to launch, and they purposely battled against it. Um, so I don't know. This is, this is kind of a mess to be honest and, uh, is obviously up to the courts to decide. So we'll have to see where it goes, but I find this kind of unfortunate. I feel that the original creators felt like they had to do something. And the only thing they knew how to do to stop this from all going forward is to do this. This obviously got the attention of Stardock and, and it sucks because you'd like to see them all come together. Why couldn't Stardock hire them to work on a new star control game? And maybe they did, and maybe the talks fell through. You never know. Uh, the, a lot of that stuff we'll never know because they seem to be pretty salty at each other. <laughs> Seems to be, 
you know, going and going. Um, and then really quickly, I want to talk about it from the side of, from the creators of Star Control 2, from Fred Ford and Paul Reich III. Uh, so they had a blog post called Injunction Junction. And it says, Happy 2019, everyone. We thought we'd start the New Year's with a little uh, litigation narration. A few months back, Stardock requested an injunction. Now, this is the other side of the story from what I just read earlier. A few months back, Stardock requested an injunction against our serving new DMCA notices. So basically, when they served the notices, Stardock had an injunction in the courts to prevent them from doing that because they didn't want their games to come off a of sale. So it was just a legal move for them to say, hey, don't let them take our games down before we get everything settled. Um, on December 27th, the judge denied Stardock's motion, as you can read here, and noted that among the other things, Stardock objects, uh, objects to Reich's declaration that I created the concept for the Star Control computer game. Clearly, Reich has personal knowledge as to what he did or did not create. Reich and Ford object to Wardell's declaration. Stardock has not incorporated any copyright artwork from Star Control 1, 2, or Star Control 3 into the Origins game itself, on the ground that Wardell lacks the expertise necessary to opine as to what constitutes copyrightable work. Indeed, not only has Wardell faked to establish... Uh, failed to establish any such expertise, but his opinion as to whether the work in question is copyrightable constitutes an improper legal conclusion. Such legal conclusions are without evidentiary value. Someone's got some good lawyers. <laughs> and goes on to say, Origins had not been released, nor had its release date been announced when the instant action commenced on December 2017. An alleged infringer cannot release purportedly infringing material in the midst of litigation and then reasonably ask the court to hamstring the alleged copyright holder in its efforts to curb the alleged infringement. So basically what they're saying there, just to interrupt, is that apparently in December of 2017, when they were about to launch the game, they were aware of like the pending litigation that was going to come from this and they received, and they decided to release it anyway. So what they're saying is you can't reasonably expect the court to not pull that game from the store when you knew there was going to be litigation upcoming about it. So that, that's kind of saying. And then finally, the judge went on to say, the harm Stardock complains of is indeed its own making. Stardock had knowledge of the copyright claims from the outset. Despite that knowledge, it developed potentially infringing material with resolution without resolution of the IP ownership issues and then published the release of those materials during the uh, pendency of this action. It now claims that this investment in origins and reputation are on the line. Given that Stardock largely created the foregoing predicament, the court is di uh, disinclined to extricate, extra, extricate, excuse me, from a peril of its own making. Uh, so they're arguing that it's all Starduck's fault that this is even a thing. And now here's what's funny. The judge isn't saying that Starduck is wrong or stole assets or isn't in the right. They're just saying that until the IP was figured out, until somebody resolved the issue of who owns the rights to what, they shouldn't have released the game. And that until they resolve that, they're going to pull the games. That's that's basically what he said. Um, so uh, they, the, these guys go on to make their argument here where it says, you know, um, that, that Brad Wardell, who's from Starduck, is saying you can't copyright a word, which seems to mean that if you break down creative work into its component parts, those component parts are too trivial to be protected. This could lead to if you cannot copyright a single word. And Frank Herbert's Dune classic science fiction book is made of nothing but words. So uh, it's kind of like the thing we talked about with Fortnite. Like you can't copyright a dance move, but you can copyright a bunch of moves that result in a dance, um, like a dance, like a, uh, a choreography, like a choreographed sequence. You can copyright a sequence, but you can't choreograph a single dance move. You can't copyright a single dance move. That's kind of what they're saying here. You can't copyright a word, 
but you can copyright a bunch of words that make a description or make a sentence or make a, a, a book or something. So hopefully these guys get this figured out because star control coming back, I think is a good thing. And I don't really care who makes it as long as they're fun. And I, I think more star control games would be good. Uh, I feel like this clearly was something that the original owners probably felt like they didn't have, they probably didn't have as much, you know, pull they didn't have as much of a company behind them to get this done and, and they probably feel like the little guy fighting against fighting back against the big guy but also i like to think about from starduck you know they they bought this ip thinking they could make a new star control game do what's right and then you know it ends up being that what they bought may not have been what they thought they bought and that sucks for them too so it's kind of a crappy situation all around but hopefully it gets figured out and uh, we were able to move on and, and hopefully we get more star control games because star control is actually quite a uh, quite fun game actually and um and i'd like to see more of it you know why not and then let's see so let's move on from that here okay yeah let's move on from here what do we act time wise here we're at uh, 44 minutes okay we're doing okay we're doing okay um so I think lastly, I was thinking about talking about this Bethesda. You know what? I will talk a little bit about it on the podcast. I'll make a separate video about it. But um, basically, uh, a while ago, I reported on a story that Bethesda was suing uh, Warner Brothers over the development of a Westworld game that was a complete and utter ripoff of Fallout Shelter. And the update to that story is that it has been resolved. So the story reads, Bethesda Softworks, Behavior Interactive, and Warner Brothers Entertainment have resolved a lawsuit over the creation of a Westworld-based building mobile game that Bethesda alleged had been a ripoff of its Fallout Shelter game. Real quick side note, uh, it was the same developer that worked on both games, and Bethesda was arguing that that developer was using code used for Fallout in that game, and that was part of the problem. In fact, some of the same bugs were able to be replicated from earlier patched version, unpatched versions of Fallout in the Westworld game. So they were like, this is, this is kind of garbage. So uh, Bethesda it goes on to say, Bethesda called the resolution amicable. In a very brief statement, but none of the terms were disclosed. On December 12th, a notice was filed in federal court that both sides had resolved the dispute and were to bear their own costs and attorney's fees. Bethesda Softworks dismissed its claims with prejudice, meaning the same claims cannot be brought again. In June 2018, this is a little recap, Bethesda brought the lawsuit and alleged the Behavior Interactive had used copyrighted code from Fallout Shelter, which it had developed in partnership with Bethesda and launched in 2015. Um, man, it was 2015 already that that came out? My God. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I guess that was a little, you know, that was a nice little follow-up to the story. They've, they've reached something amicably. So that tells me that uh, they probably said, you know, we could fight this in courts forever. We're not sure who's going to win. We'll give you some money for your damages, quote-unquote, just shut up and get out of here. And and Bethesda was like, okay, give, give us a piece of, give us 0.25% of all Westworld games sold and we'll be fine. Or something like that, you know. So they worked it out amicably. They're both happy and they're both paying their own lawyer's fees, though, which tells me that it was much more down the middle than you'd expect. Um, but, you know, it was a follow-up to a story we did. So very quick, very quick one there, but uh, might as well might as well fill, uh, follow it up. And then, so we're going to get to the big hogs here. Hold on. So Polygon, <clears throat> all right, let me, let me boot this easier so it's easier for me to find it when I'm, when I'm, uh, when I'm doing this. In fact, I'm going to do some, some work real quick. I'm going to go to eBay and I'm going to look up some of these, uh, Wii U console, which is, I'll go into this more too, but this is, this is about to be a mess because, uh, this article is going to make people go out and buy more. <laughs> it's so stupid. Uh, but that's the, that's the game we play, you know? Um, uh, let's see here. Okay. 
Uh, these are coming from Canada. That's wild. People, people are selling these for $57, those poor suckers. Um, okay. So I got this up here, and we'll sort this by this, even though that's not the best way to look at things. But we'll just kind of do it just for, just for Pete's sake. <clears throat> so, all right, so here we go. And finally on the podcast today, we are going to talk about the Wii U. <laughs> for some reason I, why not let's talk about the wii u so polygon did an article i saw this uh, uh trending on twitter the other day polygon did an article about it yesterday by uh, ben kuchara and basically his article headline new in quotes for some reason new wii u hardware prices have skyrocketed sealed wii u consoles are hot items for collectors so this is the story Nintendo ceased Wii U production by January 2017, and the demand for new unopened hardware had caused resale prices to soar. Finding the console in new condition for under $500 is next to impossible, and the price can be much higher on retail sites like Amazon and Amazon and eBay. Nintendo launched the Wii U on November 18, 2012, and the white 8GB model selling for $299, and the 32GB models, including a copy of Nintendo Land, selling for $349.99. Fans bought 13.56 million Wii U consoles in the hardware's lifespan. That's not great. <laughs> Making it Nintendo's least popular gaming platform to date, with the obvious exception of the Virtual Boy, which is technically considered a handheld, so if they had just said Nintendo's least popular console, uh, uh, and whatever. <clears throat> so this is... Uh, so then basically someone shared a photo of Amazon, and it was someone tweeting out just going, uh, what? Saying it's that expensive? And uh, so I really quick did an eBay search. Now I sorted by shipping plus the highest. So, you know, you guys got to scroll down a little bit. But, you know, we use are clearly going for like this one bit out. This is always something good. Like if, if you want a quick tip, if you're game hunting or you're not sure what something you have is worth, go to eBay, sort by sold listings, and then go to auction. Auction's important because auction's going to show people that are actually fighting over the item, not just someone who maybe set a buy it now price because they could have set it too low, something like that. So you look at this 17 bids. 525 with $30 shipping. So that tells you this system's worth about $555. And there were people fighting over it. Mario Kart bundle, 74 bids, $530. 21 bids, $500 for a Zelda one. So it doesn't seem to matter which one is which, but they're all worth some money. So th this is something that really is a non-story, I guess. Um, so let's let's talk about it. Brand new consoles hold value very well. So right now, a brand new PS2 system is worth about 150 to 200 dollars for a brand new PS2. You're like, why would you do that when you can get a used one for 50 bucks? It's because it's brand new. So consoles hold value a lot longer because uh, I think people want one day when their console dies to be able to open a brand new one, or they just want to collect something brand new that you know will be sitting in a box or whatever forever. But this is not new. Um, I have at the store right now. I have a, a sealed GameCube which is worth like 150, 200 bucks. I have a PS2. It's worth about the same. I have a Ice Blue N64 sealed, which about I think is worth about five or six hundred dollars, maybe more, because they're not really ever up for sale, so you never know. Um, but you, new consoles always go up in value. So whenever a console is getting to the end of its life, like the Wii U, um, I picked up a Super Mario Maker bundle at Walmart. I think it was on clearance for like 250 I bought it new knowing that one day it would be worth more money because consoles always go up. Now you have that and then you add that to the obscurity of the Wii U itself. Now I know not everybody sees this because not everyone's in the business I'm in, 
But one thing you see is that people love to collect 100% libraries of games that have easy to collect 100% libraries. The N64 is a great example. There's like two, uh, 280 or something like that. Like I'm, I'm forgetting the exact number off the top of my head. 274, 284, something like that of total N64 games. So someone looks at that and goes, that's, that's easy. I could do that. I could collect every N64 game. Um, PS2, there's thousands. So nobody's going, I'm going to collect every PS2 game. Well, that's not true. There are people doing that. But the majority of people want to collect with that. Vita is another good example. People were collecting Vita physical because that was a smaller, easier to get collection. Um, Wii U is another one of those uh, situations. And right now, the Wii U games are dirt cheap. So people are loading up on it. And eventually, those prices will start skyrocketing because more and more people say, you know what? The Wii U is underappreciated. I like the system. The games are cheap. I'll start buying it. And then everyone starts buying it. And then the value goes up. So it's twofold. One, the Wii U is an obscure system. It only sold 13 million units, which is pretty terrible for a Nintendo console. The console itself is actually kind of fun. I like my Wii U. Um, eventually, they're going to port everything that was good to the Switch, though, so I won't need my Wii U anymore. But it's still a fun system. I thought it was. I thought it was great. I had no problem with it. Um, and so it's twofold. It's the Wii U being rare, and then it's the fact that new consoles always go up in value. So what I what I don't I, I don't mind about this article, but the first article I read, I don't remember, I think it was Kotaku, I think it was Kotaku did it. And it was something along the lines of scalpers are crushing the prices of Wii U new right now. And you're like, hold uh, stop it, okay? Because here's the thing. If you bought a Wii U brand new a couple years ago and you're trying to sell it now for more money, that doesn't make you a scalper. Okay? Like like a scalper would be somebody who buys something when it first comes out and it's and, and they're preventing someone else from getting it because they got it first and then they try to sell it for more money. There is a certain time frame, in my opinion, that turns something from not being scalping anymore. It, it, it actually kind of irritates me when it's it, people act like anybody who resells something for more money is a scalper. I think that's really disingenuous. If you buy something solely for the purpose of reselling it for more money within a certain amount of time, like say the first month something's out, I could argue with you that that, that would be scalping. But which... um you know, but again, this is just more of like a, one of those quirks in collecting where something's obscure, obscure stuff always ends up being worth more money. Look at how much a virtual boy goes for now. No one on the planet is going to say the virtual boy was a good console. Virtual boys with the stand and all the hookups right now probably sells for $150, something like that. If it's in the box and everything, you're going 200 plus for a system that nobody wanted and was on clearance on target shelves for 30 bucks on the end caps for years. I, I well, maybe not years, but I remember seeing them on end caps at target for 30 bucks and just going like, man, this thing's a pile. I don't want it. But again, that library has like 18 games or 20 games or something. So people it's easy to collect for and they want to get a hundred percent library. And, and that to be fair is also kind of iconic. You know, it's, it's used in a lot of like as, as a prop kind of merchandising gamer card sort of thing. And so so people collect for the obscure. In fact, a lot of things that are rare aren't rare because aren't aren't expensive because they're good. They're expensive because they're rare and uncommon. And so it's it's not like 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 some of the best games ever made aren't going to ever be expensive and rare because they made so many copies. And so oftentimes if they didn't make a lot of copies, it was because one, they didn't think the game would perform well. And then if it didn't perform well, they didn't make any more. And so then you have games like Rule of Rose, which arguably, which is a horror game for PS2, is arguably not a very good game. I, I don't think it's very good, but it's rare, it's obscure, and it's a horror game. Plus, it got boosted by some YouTubers doing like hidden gems videos and like best horror game videos and stuff. So that artificially inflates the price for that in that case. But it, it's not 
you know, it's not because it was super good that it's worth money all the time. You know, sometimes it's a mix of both. It was rare and it was good. Something like, you know, Mighty Final Fight on NES. Um, but look at a game, and then I, and I flipped to that, and as a collector, like, look at Contra, Heart, uh, Contra Force for the NES. Not even a Contra game in Japan. They bring it over here, let's slap Contra on it, because, you know, American kids are dumb. They'll buy it if it says Contra. The first two were a huge hit. And the game's terrible, but it's, it's late life NES. Came out, like, 93 or 94, and so it's worth money, you know? Uh, and that's just how it goes. They did make a lot of copies, and it wasn't good. It didn't sell well. They didn't make more. And... and it's hard to believe that with a Contra game because you think Contra would have made a, a bunch of it thinking it would sell well, but it didn't because it wasn't a Contra game and it was garbage. And the game just controls like clunky ass. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this is kind of a non-story, but I found it interesting uh, an interesting chance to talk a little bit about my collecting knowledge and to kind of share some stuff with you. So, you know, even a brand new PS3 system right now can be upwards of a couple hundred bucks to, if it's an original model. 600 to 800 dollars for an original model now you could argue that a 60 gig cost 600 dollars when it came out so if you bought it to, to quote unquote scalp it you're breaking even at this point uh but it is it is interesting you know and so like like let's look up a couple other new ones just for funsies you know so like let's let's look up like a new gamecube console maybe see if the computer wants to go there um, okay. So like, look at a new GameCube and a new, look, look at this, um, $365 bid out for a brand new, uh, Pokemon XD GameCube, $460 for just a platinum brand new. I have one of those. That's cool. That's, that's gone up a lot. <laughs> that's really nice to know. Um, $299 for a black one. Uh, and then we get down into switches for some reason. I don't know why those are coming up with the GameCube talks, but, um, you know, here a platinum one. I don't know why this one bid out at 270 and this one bid out at... Well, when was this one? December 14th, and this one was December 1st? So, I don't know. It makes no sense. Um, but but that's the, the point is that new consoles always go up in value. Um, let's look up N64s. You know, let's, let's get crazy with it. New N64 consoles. Okay, well, <laughs> since I have it sorted by highest price, you're seeing some of the craziness. So, let's get down to normal here. Uh, 350 bucks, brand new. 355 for a smoke bit out um 399 for a purple 416 for a brand new inbox n64 um this is awesome you know a pikachu one 361 305 for a atomic purple bundle star wars bundle 299 awesome so anyway the point though was just that the point was just that new console prices always skyrocket so this is nothing new this isn't this shouldn't be surprising i think people latched onto it because for all all you know for all the arguments made the Wii U essentially was a massive failure. And so people are trying to figure out why it's worth money when it's a failure. And it has oftentimes the things that are most expensive and rare have nothing to do with the popularity. Well, not with the positive popularity, but it has nothing to do necessarily with how good something is. It's often more just how hard it's going to be find. And then the market. And now you have an article like this, you're crazy if if someone reads this article and you don't think this is going to drive people to start buying them knowing that they're going up in price, you're crazy. So this is going to this article and others like it will just inflate the price even further. But, you know, whatever. It's just kind of how it goes in the in the weird, you know, retro game collecting market especially when it pertains to brand new hardware. Oh, all right. I think that's the podcast for today everybody except for of course, our game of the week. Um so today I picked a PS1 game. Uh, which I actually own two copies of. 
and no, it's not Symphony of the Night, which I still say is my favorite game of all time. I'm playing, let's see if I can, uh, I don't think I, I usually don't do this in video form, but I'm playing Loaded, uh, a game called Loaded for the PS1. I haven't played this game in a really long time, um, but here's what I remember about it, and I'll just say that that's good. So what I remember is that uh, it's a top-down kind of twin-stick shooter, I guess, before twin-stick shooters were a thing. I guess Smash TV is like the original twin-stick shooter Um or, uh, yeah, Smash TV. Uh, so this is kind of the same idea, but you were all like inmates in like in a mental asylum and you're just murdering people on the way out. So here's the back of the box. I'm going to read this. Uh, take on the psychotic persona of one of six chronically pissed off homicidal mutants and blast out of the brutal planet Ralph. Oh yeah. It was a sci-fi mental institution. Sorry. Uh, so you can slash and splatter your way across a lawless and unforgiving 3d morphing galaxy. Um, it's one or two players. Which is cool. Um, there's like a clown guy. He's the guy in the cover, of course. Um, yeah, this game's pretty cool. Now, here's a fun fact about this game. So, as I turn here, don't don't leave me now. Stay with me now. Uh, uh, get out of there. Come on, get out of there. So, I own the game twice, like I said, because, and I know if you're on the podcast you're listening to this, you, you can't see what I'm talking about, but just bear with me. Loaded, uh, it comes two ways. I have the tall box, because this is what I played originally when I was younger. I actually rented this game, and I loved it, so I was like, I'm going to own this game. And then I came across a jewel case version. So the jewel case version is actually really uncommon because a lot of games, if you don't know, PS1 games came in the tall box first. There were different variations of tall boxes, but essentially this game, uh, that's how they came. They came um, in a tall box. And then uh, they switched to jewel cases. But the thing is, a few of those games that came out during the time ended up getting a release on both. And oftentimes, by if it was the end of the game's kind of popularity and life cycle, the, the game would no longer, like they would make a game like a jewel case version, but only print maybe, I don't know, a thousand copies or something. And so there are certain games that jewel case versions are really, really rare. One of them is Mortal Kombat 3. For the PS1, if you can find a jewel case version of that, it's like super money, super mega rare. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, Loaded's another one. Um, there's a few others, but it's, it's kind of cool, you know, just like having, having this... Um, it'd be more rare just because it's in the jewel case, which I actually prefer because I love all my PS ones. If you look behind me on the top shelf, uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, if you're not, obviously you can't, but if, if you see this on the top shelf back here, this is essentially, um, this is essentially like my favorite way to collect is the jewel case PS one games. But, uh, I am a sucker for a big box or a tall box because these were what I was playing at the time. You know, this, when I first had my PS one, I was buying long box games and my brother had one and it was, uh, it was awesome. So anyway, uh, that is the podcast for today, everybody. Um, if you are watching this on YouTube, you can subscribe on iTunes. It's uh, go to, go to the, uh, the podcast app and search for game talk radio. Look for me with the little game trade Sprite shirt. Uh, if you're listening to this on iTunes though, and you can check out our YouTube channel, that helps us out a lot too. We're very, very proud of it. We're like 3,800 subs now, which last year at this time we were under a thousand, so we're, we're really happy with our growth. Obviously, we're, we're just plugging away and plugging away and keep trying to do this and make better content so people can keep enjoying us. Um, but you can go to youtube.com slash drop rate. Uh, not the drop rate. That's our Twitch name. Twitch is the drop rate. YouTube is just youtube.com slash drop rate. And uh, subscribe to us. You know, I really appreciate it. And check out any videos. If, if you like this in podcast form, but you sometimes want to just get the smaller doses, um, on video form, you can do that there too. I, I usually upload 
most of my stories, if not all of them, in separate videos, so you can kind of watch it however you want to. But in any case, I just want to say thank you as always for listening and watching. Uh, it, it's it's We're kicking off the new year. Uh, we're back on schedule. We should be back on schedule for the rest of time being, so we will see how it goes. Thank you, everybody, for listening and watching as always. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>